right, Mr. Birthday Boy, take it away. Man. All right, well, welcome, everyone. Glad to see y'all. Hope everyone's listening and enjoying us so far uh, in the past uh, uh, couple of episodes that we've done. But uh, basically, we'd like for everyone to go to uh, GPS to God on YouTube channel and make sure that you hit the red subscribe button. If you have already subscribed, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, But we need more of you to do that, to help us out. So please go in there and subscribe. Um, We need to get at least 100 subscribers uh, to have our own unique YouTube channel address. Uh, We announced that in the last couple of weeks. And when we reach 100 subscribers, we are going to pick five people, five to receive a gift card and a grand prize winner will be able to come on the podcast with us and enjoy us. Look at that. Man, that's that's like some good stuff right there. Yeah. What was that again? Nice. Raspberry cream cheese cake. Ooh, yeah. Uh mm. You have to leave a comment and <laughs> He's distracted. Yeah, I know I am, right? <laughs> he got me reading shelf paper. Uh <laughs> You have to leave a comment on one of the videos, and we will pick the winners from those and um, from those that subscribe and comment. If you want to receive notifications when new videos are published, hit the notification bell. Uh, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you leave a good rating there for us. Um, that will help us have more visibility and be easier and it'll be easier for you, your friends, your family, and others to find us. We're also on Spotify, if that is how you like to choose how to listen. Um, you can get in touch with us by email, and if you would like to do that, that address is podcast at parkwaybc.net. New episodes every Monday. Sorry, hey. that was awful. That was the first time going Great through. Job. So for those Great of job. you who are listening and not watching... Today is Ryan's birthday. Woo-hoo. Happy birthday. How old are you? You're smacking that gum pretty hard, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That was on me. Yeah. You can tell we're not pros over here. <laughs> so how, how old are you? Uh, I am 32 years old. 32. Trey mm-hmm. Deuce. Yep. So anyway, for those not watching on YouTube, Ryan was distracted because we have a cake for him today. <laughs> and... Uh, Started slicing that bad boy up and handing it out, and he forgot how to read all of a sudden. I know, right? Yeah. I can't read that well anyways <laughs> as it is, so it's whatever. So for th- for those who are watching, I'm not rude. We have Barton Rowe with us today. Thank you for being here. We have a piece of cake for Thank him, you. but he politely declined, so we don't want to force that on anyone. <laughs> so don't think I'm rude, and don't be <laughs> sending emails of how Give bad it. we treat our guests. That's right. Because that's what y'all need is us going here eating, you know. Oh, I'm going to eat. I'm going to oh, eat gonna, while, while he's talking. Eat. Uh, we're going to eat. We're just going to Yeah. Well, so, okay. so we talked about uh, before, Stefano is a picky eater. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very picky eater. Mm-hmm. But he picky has eater. said he will try this cake, raspberry cream cheesecake. He said he'll give it a try. Raspberry so. cream cheese. That's, that's, that doesn't, that's not too. Yeah. Well, it's free, it's so you don't have wild. to worry about the price. There you go. And so anything give it a, anything give it a from shot. Publix is just. Very yeah, true. Yeah, very true. Yeah. They're in Chick-fil-A. Good it's, just, yeah. it's just good service. Yeah. Anybody out there working at Publix, thank you. Yes. And let your boss know we're open for uh, sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast at parkwaybc.net. <laughs> right. Um, speaking of cool things and shout outs and all that kind of stuff we would like to give a shout out to some listeners in india we've had several people tuning in from india that's awesome and also south africa wow so to go along with rico's rico's family in italy has has watched a lot but we know we have some fans in india and south africa and we'd like to hear from you email us let us know and we will give you a shout out live and in person that's great on the air maybe a maybe a road show Hey, we're open for that too. In, Start any, saving up my money. Any any sponsors <laughs> in India? Any sponsors in India that, that would like to bring us for our live, our first ever live show? We're, yep. we're down. Oh yeah, a couple billion people in India. We just need a small percentage of them to be fans, yeah. <laughs> right? Just a small percentage. Yeah. So today we have Mr. Barton Rowe, and he is going to talk about addiction, which is uh, something that many many people deal with, and. We like to have fun here. Those of you who have listened before know that, but we don't want to make light of 
addiction or really any of the the topics we talk about. But um, Barton has agreed to come share a little bit of his story, and hopefully that um, can help other people who might be dealing with the same thing. And I kind of want to start with addiction is different for different people. For sure. You know, so what Barton struggled with or had issues with, other people can be addicted to other things. Mm-hmm. That's not the same. So uh, even if your circumstances are not exactly what Barton uh, has dealt with, I think the truth that he's going to bring and the help that he has been able to receive can still help you as well. So, Barton, thanks again for being here. We appreciate it. Um, I know it's not always easy telling personal stories, yeah. uh, especially when they've been painful. But uh, we're going to just turn it over to you and kind of let you start okay. at the at the very beginning while I eat cake in front of you. All right. Th- <laughs> thank you for having me. And, you know, it, it has uh, grown easier and easier to share my story because of the success that, uh, that that's come out of it, of being able to maybe help other people. And uh, I like to say it's Jesus's story. I just small, play a small part in it. And mm-hmm. as you hear me tell my story, you'll. it took me a while after I got clean and sober and even found Jesus to uh, look back at my story and see how he was always there. You know, he was always there, and you'll hear that through through my story. And uh, so I'll just give you a little background. I, I was the youngest of five kids. Um. When I was born, my sister was the oldest. She was a senior in high school, so I came a little late in life. That's a spread right there. And uh, But my dad, uh, he he had us in church every time the doors were open. In the early 60s and the 70s, you know, um, Sundays, things were closed. Stores were closed. So when we left church, we went over to my grandmother's, and we always had a spread over there. and we just, you know, eat and take it easy and always remember hearing my grandfather playing hymns on the piano. And my dad was a, a – a, he, he flew planes in World War II. He ferried planes in World War II and ferried all the planes that were uh, used in World War II. And when he got out, he and another uh, man started a uh, charter airlines in, uh, in Nashville, and they – moved it to Smyrna and I I share that because my dad could have buried himself in in his work but he didn't he buried himself in uh, he juggled his his life with God first family second and then his work third and he got us involved in hunting and fishing and camping and just the love of the outdoors and he was my rock you know, he was my best friend. And I, I, I'm sure all my siblings could say the same thing. But when I was 15 is where I started kind of going south. And I had a we had a next-door neighbor that was an alcoholic, and he hid his beer under the house so his family wouldn't find it. And so I thought, well, that's a great place for me to get my beer, you know, because he's not going to turn me in. So and it's the I, right price. That's right. And so I started swiping his beer. And uh, back in those days, the drinking age was 18. So about 16, I started, uh, it was real easy to uh, get a fake ID. And I got me a fake license, and I was able to go up to the corner market and buy beer from time to time. And found myself drinking with the old alcoholic next door when I was 16, you know, when Dad was at work. And when I was 16, I had a friend uh, introduce me to pot. And, uh, you know, I remember telling him, you know, oh, man, that pot will lead you to harder drugs. And he just kind of laughed, you know. And Of course, I didn't heed that that thought. I just went ahead and started smoking pot. And, you know, with drinking and, and drugging, especially at any age, but at that age, it comes a lot of lying and deceiving. And uh, I don't think my – I always want to think that being the youngest of five, my dad – knew everything that went on because I'm sure my older siblings had tried to pull the wool over his eye from time to time. But I remember uh, when I got my driver's license when I was 16, I, I uh, had curfew and I came in and, and parked the car and 
came in, told him I was going to bed, and I slipped out the window. And uh, went out with a friend of mine, met him up the road, and we stayed out till early in the morning. And I came back and was trying to quietly make my way in the window. You know, I was uneasy on my feet, not because I'd been running, but <laughs> because of my drinking. And I made the awfulest noise opening that window and climbing in, and I fell in, and and uh, and right as I hit the floor, the light came on, mm-hmm. and my dad stood there, and he was a large man in stature and my dad punished he he spanked he i want to get this clear he 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 didn't abuse there was no abuse in our family it was spanking i know that's kind of new to younger generation but uh i didn't get it that night because i'm sure he wanted it to hurt more maybe when i was sober but but the next morning i got my punishment but i remember him saying son do you have a problem you know, I want you to know that I'm here. I said, no, no, Dad, it was just a one-time thing, you know, another lie. And uh, so this continued on, and, and when I was 17, uh, I was getting close to graduation. It was in 1979, and my best friend and I had planned a trip to Florida. And my dad had reluctantly, he felt like that I had grown up some but I was still drinking and drugging, smoking at the time. And so um, the day before my graduation, I had a ruptured appendicitis. So I missed my graduation and missed my trip. And so um, that November, as I shared, my dad was a co-owner of an airline. He uh, arranged for my best friend and I a two-week trip to Hawaii. And uh, I'm not going to share, especially on this podcast, anything that went on. It, it, those saying is what went on in Hawaii stayed in Hawaii to this day. My my buddy Mike and I are the only ones that know it, and God. It, it wasn't anything crazy, but, you know. Right. So, but reason I share that story, it was because while I was there, you know, I was caught up in myself. You know, uh, addiction is just a selfishness. It's a selfish behavior. You don't care about anything. And while I was there, I tried calling home repeatedly, and uh, I couldn't get anybody at the house. And finally, late one evening, I got a hold of my brother. And he had just told me, he didn't go into detail, but he said, Dad's been sick, and he's been in the hospital, and we've been there. You know, so you just enjoy your time. And, you know, and I did. I just uh, I blocked it out of my mind and, and went on and partied like a party animal, you know. And, and when we got back, uh, we... That that winter and the following spring in eighty, we spent a lot of time hunting and fishing and camping, not really knowing. You know, my dad had uh, lymphoma, and uh, and of course my party and I continued to party. I remember him, uh, you know, wanting to go hunting, and you know, I had a party to go to, and 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 so in uh, April of eighty. A good Friday, they took him to the hospital. And my brother came to me and he said, you need to go to the hospital. And I said, well, i got a party to go to. I'll, I'll catch him later this weekend. And so the next morning I was home recuperating, and my uncle comes, and he says, you need to get to the hospital now. And so I got there, and it was too late. My dad had passed away. Wow. And I would love to say with my church upbringing, that uh, I started following Jesus that day, and I laid down the drugs and alcohol, but I didn't. You see, I had a hole and a void in my heart, and I I set out to try to fill that hole and that void with whatever I could. And it was, you know, it was just, it it was anything I could find to drink. You know, I'd get drink this type of alcohol till I got sick, and I'd go to, you know, gin, and just one thing after another. Started doing pills and started uh, doing cocaine. And four years after my dad died, I was working at a grocery store across town. And I was assistant grocery manager. I've spent all my life in that business, so you'll hear the reference of grocery stores through my story. 
But I, I used to take my lunch at a church right down the road and sit under this tree and just take lunch, just eat. This one day I sat down there and my life had spiraled so far out of control. I was miserable. I was sick. I just, I just, I just didn't want to live anymore. And I had made plans while I sat there on lunch that I was going to go home and take one of the guns that my dad had left. I was living with my mom, just she and I. And I was going to go out back and take my own life. How old were you at this point? I was 22. And and it wasn't a cry out. I wasn't going to go and tell everybody at work, hey, I'm going to go. You know, sometimes people say that for, uh, I don't want to say attention, but they're crying out for help. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't want anybody to know. That's how miserable I was. And I got back to work, and I remember it just as clear as uh, as I'm sitting here. I was ordering the Jello section, and I was about maybe from, you know, from here to that, those plates, uh, three three or four feet from the shelf. And I was ordering, had an order machine, punching in the numbers. And this bread man, his name was Matt, and we called him the Jesus Freak because he was always asking us if we knew Jesus. He was always whistling and happy and singing and just. And he comes by and I said, "Hey, Matt." He said, "Hey, Barton." And he comes right between me and the shelf and he looks at me. He said, "What's wrong?" I said, "Nothing's wrong." He said, "I just want to tell you the power of Jesus Christ is larger than anything that you're going through." Wow. He said, "Have a good day," and I went on about my business. Do you do you think that there was? I mean, he saw something, obviously, but in your day-to-day life, do you think your your mother or your friends could tell you had a problem, you had an addiction? Do you think there was physical appearance things that they noticed, or could you even tell at that time? I, I, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think maybe back in the day, uh, I had – there was three – I got three brothers. There were four of us, and my sister was the oldest, and I've got a brother that's uh, three, four years older than me. And uh, we're the closest, and so he partied too, and maybe not like quite like I did, but uh, I, I just think they thought, you know, it was the norm, you know, uh, the cocaine, uh, you know. I, I, no, I don't think so, to, but to be quite honest with you. I know my mom didn't. She just, uh, no, she didn't. So the bread man, what was his name again? Matt. Matt. Matt, that – was a spirit-led thing that he saw yeah yeah absolutely something was wrong with you yeah and he said those words and you know i'd love to say that i started following jesus that day and i laid down those drugs and alcohol but i didn't and i continued on and you know the way i lived in my addiction i should have been behind bars some i lived i did a lot of things where i should have been behind bars i just never got caught and, I mean, that's what I tell people. I know people all day long that have, you know, my wife says I should have had a felony, a, a long list of felonies just, just by the stuff that I did. I just never got caught. But I continued on down this road, and I continued doing, by this time I started, you know, doing pills and uh, acid and just whatever. And I was dating a girl. If you can call it dating, I would uh, I would ask her out and, We'd set a date up, my party would come up, I'd go to the party, and I might stand her up, or I might call and lie to her, and she'd go her own way. I remember many times going over and putting a note on her windshield, please, please forgive me, let me, you know, let's try it again. And, and, uh, and, you know, she, over time, she would try it again, and and, uh, she knew, she knew I liked to party. Uh, She drank. But that's about it. And so, 1985, I asked her to marry me. And she accepted. We bought a house. We lived in Englewood at the time. That's where we both grew up was in Englewood. And uh, we bought a house in Englewood. And so, before we could get married, I had to do some remodeling. So, I would go over every afternoon after work and supposedly remodel but my cousin and i did a lot of partying and so the remodel moved slow and we kept having to put the wedding off kept having to put it off and finally kim said 
May 31st, whether the house is ready or not. So in uh, 1986, we got married. And, you know, she knew. She knew my battles. She knew she knew my demons. I don't think she knew them as much. I know she didn't because I hit them. Uh, I got back on cocaine again in that time. I think it was in 87, maybe in 88. But anyway, I got back on cocaine, and my daughter was born. So it was about 88, 89. I got back on cocaine pretty bad. and um, Which was prevalent in the 80s, correct? Cocaine. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't just cocaine. I mean, I did, you know, whatever anybody had, I would I would do. And I was selling pot at that time out of the house, and uh, she didn't know it until, you know, somebody came knocking on the door. Hey, does Barton have a bag? You know. So on your habit at this time, how much do you think you were spending compared to your income, what oh, you were making? I, oh, I don't know. I, I do know that somewhere down that line, my wife started handling the bills because um you know the money wasn't always there yeah i don't know if this one incident was uh probably was but i we had we were buying a refrigerator on on time and one saturday they came over to repossess the refrigerator you know because we were behind on 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 the money and i'm sure i squandered it away on something and my daughter was born in 88 and, you know, you would think that would be such a joyful time where you would just maybe lay everything down. And, and uh, you know, it was a joyful time. And I remember that uh, very, very clear. I remember the night she was born. I was there. I mean, but, but you know, for 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 the first couple of years of her life, I, I, was, I lived in a fog. And because uh, I was continuing to use. And in 1990, she was two years old, and I worked at a, another grocery store. And ironically, it was I started at, at a little store in Inglewood uh, when I was 15, and I made my way back around there. Uh, it was different owners, but I was working there. It was a party haven. We drank, smoked, you know, worked in the grocery store, sold drugs out of it. I mean, it was just stupid, but that's what we did. But that this one day, it was a... Uh, 1990 it was halloween and we went uh me and my best friend went at the time went down to a place down at the metro center that had uh mixed frozen drinks and i drank uh 12th at that place and did a bunch of volumes and now some people might be uh that are just listening you know wondering how you can consume that much but you build up a tolerance, obviously, but yeah. you talked about your dad being a big guy. You're a big guy. Yeah. How tall are you? I'm six four. Six four. So when you were Makes cra- me. Yeah. when you were crawling in the window <laughs> when you were 16 years old or whatever it was, yeah, I was about how tall were you then? Uh, I don't know what. Probably six foot or yeah, better. Probably six foot. Yeah. So I was a big person. Be crawling through the window. Big, yeah. big person. Yeah. Be crawling. Take some skill. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, Ryan, that, that kind of adds a little more Ryan, to the Ryan could have gotten in quietly. Oh, yeah, Ryan. Would, <laughs> without, he, a peep, he without a peep. <laughs> hey, I play softball. Don't let him fool you. He's an athlete. He would have just hopped right up there. And <laughs> okay. He, he'd have been all right. But but that kind of adds to that story of, you know, not just being clumsy or drunk or anything. You're a big guy moving a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so when you talk about going downtown and drinking yeah. a, a lot of mixed drinks – your body had built up a tolerance, but you're also a big guy who can consume more. Right. And towards the end of my drinking, I drank. Uh, there was a, a time that I stayed up all night, and I drank over a case of beer. And I tell people I drank myself sober. And it probably sounds crazy to some people, but I think if there's a somebody that drinks a whole lot of alcohol, they'll probably agree with me. And it's just, you know. But this one time I'm – so my daughter's two. She's at the babysitter. I've been out drinking all day. And it was my duty to go home and get her because my wife was working. And I went to the babysitter, and fortunately the babysitter refused to give her to me. And so I don't know the details after that. I I don't know anything until the next morning when my friend came to pick me up for work because we worked together. My car was at his house. He brought me home. I don't know what we did. He told me some of it, some of it I don't want to know, but. We continued drinking 
And um, so I was at work before cell phones. My wife calls me at work at about midday, and she says, you're going to quit drinking and drugging. I said, okay, all right, yeah, I will. Because I told her that. You know, I did it when we were dating. I did it when we got married. Uh, you know, and I would quit for a little while, but then I'd go back. And I'm did like, you yeah. believe that when you told her? No, 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 no. No, what I believed is I could tell her that, and then just like times before, I could go back. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't ready to quit. And so she said, no, you're going to quit. You're going to either go to 12-step meetings or you're going to go to recovery, but you're going to quit. I'm like, okay, all right. So I get home that that night and she'd done her homework she had had a list of five or six uh 12-step meetings and some recovery places and we lived in Inglewood, like i said and there was a a recovery uh an alcoholics anonymous meeting at an episcopal church on due west avenue here in madison the church is still there and so a lot of churches will, will house Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. They're not affiliated with the church. They just house. Just a meeting space. Yes, yes. Kind of like what we do. And so um, I pulled up. The meeting started at 8 o'clock, and I pulled up in the parking lot, and everybody was already in the meeting. There was nobody standing out smoking a cigarette, nobody in a car. And I sat out there, and I thought, you know, I'm going to ride around for about an hour. And do this every day for a couple of weeks. Tell her I went. And everything will be cool. And so I started my car up. And looked over my shoulder to make sure nobody was pulling in behind me. And somebody knocked on my window. And I rolled down the window. And there was a young man younger than me. His name was Tim. And this is what he said. And this is exactly how he said it. He didn't break. He said, are you going in Will you go in with me? I'm scared. Wow. And I parked the car, and I went in. And I went into that meeting. And I went to meetings there and all through Madison and Inglewood. And I never saw Tim again. Now, that void and that hole that I had in my heart was still there. But I submerged myself in 12-step programs. I was working at that store that was a mecca for partying, so I quit my job and started going to meetings two, three a day. Did your wife know why you were quitting? Did you talk to her about that? Yeah. Well, she wanted me away from there anyway because that's where the temptation was. Right. And there was a place. It's right down from Lowe's. It's a car lot now. It used to be a Kia place, but it's an auto The building itself was what they called a clubhouse, an AA clubhouse back in 90. And you could go there and get a meeting about every hour. And they had a coffee bar and they had books, you know, like help books and a pool table. And and so I hung out there. And I remember many times before, it was before cell phones, I remember many times crossing over Galton Road to the payphone there in front of Tradewinds and calling Kim and saying, hey, I'm going to catch another meeting. And, you know, it was there that I found, I saw that, you know, addiction and alcoholism does not discriminate. Because it was in that meeting that there was a a man that worked for the Davidson County Sheriff's Department and another one that was a fireman. And this happened, I I got clean on, on Halloween, and so you're going into the holidays, and I remember, I used to think, what am I going to do, you know? I used to have a, you know, used to drink and drug all through the holidays. You know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, and of course, in recovery, they, you know, one day at a time, you just stay clean today. And I remember, I'm not working. We've got a two-year-old. Uh, and I remember they asked me to come to a meeting. I think it was like 11 o'clock meeting. And they said, could you get here a little early? I said, yeah. And so I got there early, and they had groceries. They bought turkeys and ham and just groceries for Christmas. And they said, we know that you have quit your job to get clean and sober. And that just said so much to me. And 
I just, like I said, I just, for nine years, I stayed in the recovery scene. And there was still something missing. That hole in that void was still there, but, but, but I was okay. I remember my brother saying, man, you need to, you need to get in church and you need to find Jesus. And I said, man, I got a higher power. Cause in, in, in recovery, it's the step work that you pray to a higher power. And I knew a gentleman, he was a part of the, the recovery group we have here on Monday nights. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but when he got clean and sober, his higher power was a pecan tree. And, you know, you can laugh and think that's funny, but that's what kept him clean. He didn't know a God or Jesus. At the time, he got clean and sober because his higher, he would go out, and that was his higher power. He went on and found the Lord, got back with his wife, and it was a happy story. But so that's where I was. I didn't have Lord in my life. I was still, you know, rocking the, the clean scene and, and uh during this nine year period, did you ever relapse? No. No. And how uh, how hard is that it's a daily battle, correct? It is. It's a constant a constant thought. You know, I just have one or you know, you know, oh well one joint won't do nothing yeah. to me or something, you know. I think for me and I, I share this a lot, you know, the longer I got say I got a year, I would think, well if I if I smoke one or drink one, well, I got to start all over again. And that's what kept me, you know, it wasn't really the f- simple fact that I was going to lose my family, you know, at early on. But I remember sitting in a, uh, it's called the Serenity House. It's still out in Madison. And I remember sitting in there in this, uh, it's right there around Christmas time. And I had just a couple of months and this lady, this young girl was picking up her one year coin. So when you get clean, you have mile markers. I mean, road markers, you know, it's a, in Narcotics Anonymous, it's a keychain. In Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a coin and for every year. And she was picking up her year coin. And I couldn't wait to get to her and say, how did you do it? A year? Wow. You know? And she just told me one day at a time, just stay clean one day at a time. All you got to do is stay clean today and tomorrow, today. And I had a um, – we have you have sponsors in the recovery you know, and so I had a sponsor, and of course I was still full of arrogance, and I knew better. And so early on into my recovery, I I fired him, you know, and because I thought I knew more than he did. And so I needed a sponsor, and I was asking around, and and, and I was mainly going to AA, but I started going to uh, Narcotics Anonymous for drugs. It's the same concept, but some people think if you're an alcoholic, you should stay in Alcoholics Anonymous and vice versa. So <clears throat> I was asking around, I need a sponsor. Somebody said, well, go to City Roads Methodist Church up there in Madison, and they have a uh, a recovery meeting, and they still have it. It's called Sweet Surrender at noon. And ask for David S. And I went up there, and I asked for David S. And David S. and his wife, Melba, were both nurses who had a lot of clean time, but their career they didn't have anymore because of drug addiction. It showed me again how it doesn't discriminate. But it was these this couple that was like a grandmother figure to me because they were older. And I remember many days being in their apartment and doing step work for recovery. But he would also bring the Bible out. And we started doing scripture reading. And and I liked it. I mean, you know, I figured that was part of me getting clean and sober. And uh, about nine years into being clean and sober, I was working at another grocery store. And this one was in Old Hickory, and I was the dairy manager. And the owner kept telling me, I'm going to bring in another milk company. We don't need another milk company. We got three of them. Why do we need another milk company? And he kept saying, "We're going to bring one in. I'm going to bring one in Monday morning. The milkman's going to be here. Goldenrod milk's going to come in. I want you to help him out." I'm like, all right. And I just, nah, I don't want it. I don't want it. So the guy comes in, and the guy's name is Ronnie Fudge. People listening from Parkway will know that name. 
You see, Ronnie Fudge was more than a milkman. We developed a friendship. Early on, he said, do you have a church home? I said, no, nah, I don't. You know, I'm in recovery, and I'm fine doing what I'm doing, but thank you. His wife and my wife, the four of us, would do things together. We, we bought, had a friendship. Early on, I found out he liked to fish. So I moved my day around where I'd go fishing with him on Wednesday, his day off. And I remember this one Wednesday, and we were standing on, it was in 1999, we were standing on a riverbank, and he was telling me about Jesus. He was telling me all the things that Jesus had done in his life. And I was soaking it in and listening, and I went on back to work. And that Saturday, I called him. I said, hey, man, is your offer still good for church? And he met me right down here in the lobby here at church. And that was in December of 99. And, uh, you know, February 21st, 2000, I can say that I found Jesus, and I started that Jesus journey. And that hole and that void in my heart was filled. Amen. And you see, right. it was more than a milkman. You know, I look back and I see Matt and Tim. They were angels. I didn't know it at the time. I thought Tim maybe just went back out or maybe started going to another meeting. I didn't know. And it was really, I didn't realize it. I didn't know it when I, you know, accepted Christ. It took a few years down the road to realize, oh, wow, that was that was where angels I wanted to find Matt. He worked for Sunbeam Bread, and, and I thought maybe I could find him. And, and it just was kind of a fleeting thought. And just tell him, hey, man, you know, tell him what he did. Right. And I was over here sharing a Upwards devotional about six years ago here at Parkway. Upwards of Basketball League we run here for for children, for those that don't know. And so I was sharing my, and we share testimonies in, at halftime. And so I've shared every year. And I was sharing my story. And as I was walking out uh, between games, between times of sharing, this gentleman comes up and he goes, you probably don't remember me. And this guy was real recognizable. His name was Stanley. And he too worked for something. He said, man, I never knew that about you. I never knew that was your story. And, and he's a, a, a pastor now and, retired from the bread company and it dawned on me then hey man do you know what happened to matt s and he goes oh man he he got killed in a motorcycle wreck and so you know i was disappointed but then again you know i'll see him again in heaven and tell him hey look man you know you saved my life that day during your time, though, Daniel asked about relapse and stuff like that. I know that you used to, you had friends and stuff that you used to hang out with. I know you said you buried yourself into recovery programs yeah. and stuff that you just, I assume they still tried to come around and yeah. get in touch mm -hmm. with you. Did you just, what, 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 did you just not answer the phone, no. not answer the door? Or? I, I'll tell you a funny, well, a story about that. I, I had about, um, I don't know, three weeks clean, and I sold pot. And uh, Jeff and Jerry, two, you would have thought, good friends. They were good friends at the time because I had drugs, right? Of and they came knocking on the door, and I said, oh, man, you know, I flushed it all. I mean, I, I, I've quit. And they laughed. And they said, well, just call us when you relapse. <laughs> man, I'm clean 31. It'd be 31 years in Halloween that I've been clean and sober, and I didn't relapse. I never called them, so I don't know where they are. Awesome. But to say that I, I have some I have some real good friends that I went all through school with, graduated with. We grew up together. One I've known since I was six, one since 11. Still to this day, we communicate. We get together. At the time, they weren't. They kept drinking and smoking, but they never did it around me. Today, they don't. Okay. But uh, So I hung on to a few of those friends. Yeah. Uh, really and truly, uh, my friends are – in the church building. That's where the bulk of my friends are right now. Now you have been part of AA and other programs through our church where we host different groups. 
how how did you make that transition from needing help and and seeking the recovery and and the meetings to reaching out to others and and helping them yeah that that you know uh and i'll, I'll tell a story about our um how we started we've been going for 16 years here at parkway we started out as a celebrate recovery and now we're uh alcoholics anonymous called made a decision mad and if somebody was looking for an alcoholics anonymous meeting they would look in the if they looked in the directory of nashville directory they would it would point them to our meeting and it's really crazy how that started uh we had this, you know, this vision that that Parkway needed a a meeting like this, and we were at a deacon's retreat, and we uh, uh, just I remember him sharing with me about somebody, you know, going through a celebrate recovery, and and uh, and myself going through uh, knowing people that were in recovery, myself being in recovery. Uh, and we just uh, uh, got with a couple other guys and and just launched out on this on the recovery 16 years ago, and we've seen you know lives change through it. Uh, I've been a part of helping people in halfway houses. There was a time that I was you know helping. It it, it can get frustrating when you pour out a lot of time and effort to get somebody clean, but they got to want to get clean. I mean, you heard my story. You know, people can try to get me clean all day long, but you know, you've got to want it. And, you know, to go back on my wife giving me those choices, I found out later on that she already had an apartment. All she had to do was sign on the dotted line because she knew I wasn't going to get clean and sober. And, you know, three years ago I walked my daughter down the aisle, and I remember talking on, telling, the, you know, the speech I had, and I said, you know, you know, 28 years ago, you know, I, there was a crossroad. I was at a crossroad. And if I'd taken the wrong crossroad, I wouldn't be standing here today walking you down the aisle. I know I would have been dead had I not have heeded to my wife's, you got to get clean and sober. Because I just know that, you know, I would have. And, you know, there were there's many times in my life that I've uh, – I used to think, I, I don't do it now, but I used to think how much time I wasted. You know, I came to know Jesus at 38, and I think, man, if I could have done that early on, you know, look what I could have done for the Lord. But today I look at my 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 mess as a message for Jesus. For sure. And I got a couple examples, and, you know, one of them being a, a, in, in Brazil, we went down on, as a team in 2010, and Brandon Shanks and I were rooming together. And every night, we, we, I got to working with our uh, translator, Savannah, and her husband, Jerome, who are, is a pastor. And every night, she, she got, us in, got me in schools, but every night I'd come back and Brandon and I would pray. And I said, man, you know, God's tugging at my heart about something. I just don't understand what it is. And we'd go back out working and doing different things, and, and I'd go into schools and just share my story, just share it in a short bit and share about Jesus. And and uh, close to the end of our trip there in 2010, Savannah came up to me, and she said, Jerome and I want to tell you we've been praying, and we feel like that you need to come back, and you have a powerful story. And, I said, and at the same time, that's what I'd come to the conclusion is Brandon would help. You know, we prayed at night about this. And so in September of 2010, I went all the way back down to Brazil by myself. And, uh, and, and I'm amazed at that today. And, and uh, I mean, it's okay to fly by yourself, but you're going on a farm. You know, it's just and you're really staying with somebody you only knew for 10 days, you know. Man, God did some amazing things. And, and it set up two more trips working with her, myself, and another former member of the church. It was in the police department. We went and shared, you know, drug addiction as well as, you know, on his side as a police, and then mainly told about Jesus. And we, I think in those three trips, I probably spoke to about 5,000 kids down there wow. and saw lives changed. But getting back over here, you know, I share I've, I've 
I've done it with upwards so many times. And I love this story of a Jesus again. I mean, like I said before when I started my story, you know, we can look back and see Jesus was all over that. I mean, he's always near. Right. You know, we're the ones that push him away or we don't think he's there, but he's always there. Right. Well, in January 20th, pre-pandemic, I was asked to share my devotional at Delwood Baptist for upwards. And I didn't want to do it. I had things going on. My sister at the time was battling a brain tumor that would go on and take her about five days after that upwards. But I wanted to be there with her. And my brother-in-law said, look, you know, she's resting. She's fine. You know, you do what you got to do. We had water issues where we'd get flooded at the house from time to time. And I'm like, well, I got to be here because it's going to be pouring down raining. And my wife said, look, you know, we got the pumps out. You know, you go. And, you know, and I was fighting it. I don't know if I was fighting or Satan was saying, hey, you don't need to be there, you know. Distracting everything yeah. you can do. So I pull up in Dalewood's parking lot, and there's two NES trucks sitting there. I'm like, great, the lights are out. No basketball, no devotion, <laughs> you know. And I go in, and I guess they were just sitting there resting from wherever they were working, and we were having upwards. And and uh, and I don't mind sharing my story. I just didn't feel it right then, you know. And so I had to share it three times. And I shared it the first game, and then I shared it the second game. And when I finished, I walked back over to the scoreboard scorekeeper and sat in a chair and was about to sit in a chair, and this lady comes running up, and she was about late 20s, early 30s. She said, I I just want to tell you what you shared. It's just It just touched my heart. She said, I'm here on supervision to watch my kids play basketball because of my choices. And what you shared about what was missing in your life after the getting clean was Christ. She said, I know now that's what is missing in my life. And I and I asked her, I said, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? And she said, oh, yeah, I came to know Jesus at a young age, but I know that that's what's missing. And she said, can I hug you? And she hugged me, and she walked on. And I went back over, and I sat in that chair, and, and I started just weeping uncontrollably. And one of our members who goes to church here and was, was reffing, and he comes over, and he goes, man, what's wrong? He puts his arm around me. He goes, you all right? I'm like, I just got humbled by Jesus, you know. And it just reminded me, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the flooding or my sister. You know, it was about this lady right here. Right. Have you ever sponsored other people? Yeah. Have you, So you said you quit one of your sponsors or fired one of your sponsors. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about that. Do so has that happened to you for yeah, one? Yeah. Do you still feel a need to try and reach out to them, or you let them seek their own path? I let path them seek their own path because they have to want the change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that hard? It is. You know, um, the late Bob Couts pointed me to a scripture years ago, and I used it in um, in my ministry to helping others. And it's Galatians six. Nine, it says, let us not grow weary in doing good, that at a proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. And so I didn't give up. Continue praying for them. Continue seeking. See how they're doing. Uh, majority of them don't make it. i got a really close friend that's been in and out of recovery. And today he's rocking the clean world. And I'm so proud of him. And and to know that I played a part or, you know, I, and, and not not to boast what I'm doing. Right. But, you know. We all um, need the guidance to get back on the right track or a clean track. Yeah. Someone to help pull us through those tough times and say, just make it through today. Yeah. Don't worry about tomorrow. Make That's it right. through today. And I that got, is your story. Yeah. I mean, you, you talked about, like, the void that you had. But you said that. You know, God is still near. He was still with yeah. you. And during tough times, I know we we often wonder why things happen to us and everything, but that's that's part of your story. Right. The people that you've impacted. That's right. Um, you know, there's there's somebody probably somebody out there saying that, you know, I wish I could talk to Barton. Just like mm-hmm. you say, you know, about Tim and, and the bread guy yeah. and everything. The impact, yeah. you know, you going through what you went through you know, impacted lives, and that is your story. 
Right. So. And along the same lines, you said, you know, there were times where you felt you were in control. I got this. I know more than they do. And it, it's kind of the same thing. The, when we think we're in control and, and we don't need help, that's when we run away from God or mm-hmm. don't seek him because right. I, don't, I don't need any help from anybody. I, I got this. Yeah. I, I can handle this one. That's right. So, you know, it kind of – we're too big for our britches and All turning away just from the God. devil just stabbing at us. Exactly. Yeah. I had a um, another uh, awesome. I mean, I'd say awesome. I, I, so in March of this year, I've got a pastor friend who pastors a church over in Laverne, and he'd been wanting me to come share my story with the youth, and and uh, just didn't match up. Didn't match up. This one day, he called and he said, uh, "Hey, I want you to come preach at my church." You mean you want me to share with the youth? He goes, no, nah, I want you to come preach at my church. And that I think the day I was there, there was, about, I think, 73 people in the church. It's a small church. But I'm like, okay. And he goes, well, you know, we're going to do some praise music, and I'll have some announcements, and then it's yours. You know, preach as long as you want. I'm like, now, I've preached in Brazil six times. So I, I use my story, and, you know, uh, it may not have everything in it. You know, I may not paint the picture of, growing up in the church and you know uh, that you know you you can tweak your story down but one of the things that i always do when i have preached i I use the prodigal son and i talk about being in the pig pen and during the invitation that's what i say i say you know what is it keeping you in the pig pen you know don't you think it's time for you to come back to your father's arms so when i got to this church i was um Ronnie, brother Ronnie was showing me around and uh, introduced me to some of the music people. And we were standing up there, and he said, see that couple about four rows back? He said, that's Mike and Janice. He said, they showed up here. She showed up here about six six weeks ago. He showed up here about four weeks ago. And I can't get through to them. They speak to me, but that's about it. He said, just join me in prayer for them. I said, I'll do that. So something, when I when I walked in that church, I just felt a, a power, an air uh, of the Holy Spirit is all I can say. So when he told me that, I decided, to, instead of sitting on the front row, I decided to sit in the back till it was my time to come up. It just gave me an opportunity to see them and just pray for them, mm-hmm. you know. So I got up and I shared my story and I shared the invitation. And Brother Ronnie wanted me to stay up front as a pastor just in case people come up and people came up and just asked for prayer for whatever sickness whatever thanking me whatever but Mike and Janice went up and grabbed brother Ronnie's arm and went to the altar and they were over there kneeling and praying and brother Ronnie stands up man he's just weeping and he goes hallelujah you know while the music's playing you know and so long story short they came to know Jesus they both had about two and a half years clean. And they too said that something was missing in their life. And it was Jesus. And I don't share that again. It's not me. It's all about him. Right. right. I'm just grateful that I'm willing to go and do that. Mm-hmm. Do you see addiction to other things outside of drugs and alcohol? Do you see yeah. people addicted to other things? Oh, I, myself, you know, you were talking about that cake. I told you, you know, I've laid <laughs> off. Well, I have. I've laid off sweets for about four months. And, and if I eat that, I'm probably going to stop at the donut store in the morning and, get, and continue that sugar high, you know, because I'm not eating sugar. But do you say, do I see other people with addictions? Yeah. Well, the, the reason I ask that is because I think the mentality – and the struggle is the same, whether it's drugs and alcohol or food, TV, yeah. laziness, yeah. Um, workaholic even. Like, yeah. we can be addicted to anything, and I think Satan is going to attack us where yeah. we are weakest. You know, so I've never struggled with drugs and alcohol because it's not something that's going to lure me. And Satan knows what's going to lure us. Right. He right. knows what's going to get our attention. So he's going to use other things on me that he knows are going to get my attention. So I, I think the the battle of addiction, we see it in fa- our families, news media, stories like yours of drugs and alcohol, and we kind of write it all off as that. 
but we can be addicted to so many different things yeah. and it's the same mental and spiritual battle sports i know a guy who who he said my marriage is going to tank if i don't quit watching sports he watched everything he watched hockey and nba and tiddlywinks and tennis and whatever was on you know and <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was watching a, a documentary just you the play other day. Yeah, no, I, oh. I just, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. You have young Check kids. Check that you out, but uh, I don't think I've ever heard of that. I was going to say he's never heard of that. Y'all never heard of that? No, Ryan. I have not. I'm the young young guy over here. I'm I'm going to bring bring you something, Sunday. But this this documentary I was watching, this guy said, I played softball every night. I tried to be on as many teams as I could so I could play softball. And when I got married and had kids, my wife wanted me to stop. I didn't want to stop. You know, it's the same thing, being addicted to sport. And he, he said, I'm there for the relationships, the guys I play ball with. Did his marriage tank? Now he ended up getting quitting, but okay. quitting playing softball. Yeah. But then he stole millions of dollars from his work. So it didn't really turn out well, but that's a difference. I got you told know, that same story. There's, a, there's an addiction that I think that we don't address in the church. And uh, is pornography, and the the numbers sure. the yep. numbers are uh, uh, they're they're through the roof of of uh, even pastors and staff and that are that deal with pornography, right? Because it's kind of like you said at the beginning, when your neighbor hit his beer, you could kind of go get it, and nobody knew about That's it. That's right. And people think on pornography, nobody's going to know. That's right. I'm by myself, mm-hmm. yep. and and technology. Mm-hmm makes life so oh, much yeah. easier today mm-hmm. but it makes things like that so much easier to access yeah and it's just a easy tool and an easy way for satan to get in somebody's life i think one of the things that's uh really started bothering me um a lot lately is the stigma that's thrown on an alcoholic or an addict and and you know you see it in the media and grant you when you uh you know you pull up the media say on facebook or social media or whatever and you see this i mean i see it all the time you know this man and wife got busted with heroin and ran a car into a police officer or whatever and they look like they've been on drugs for quite a long time and that's that stigma and you read i guess what gets me is i've read comments where people comment that on facebook and they'll go that you know blankety blank you know they deserve whatever and you know and these people are they're firemen and they're the sheriff, and they're the two nurses that you know were my sponsor. You know, there's the grocer, me. I mean, it. It. You know, I remember one of the guys, and he's still clean to this day. I've seen him in some other meetings when I've taken people, but he worked. He ran one of those tall cranes that they use to build mm-hmm. skyscrapers, hmm. but he had to take some time off because he had a drug addiction, and you know. Uh, I mean, it's all walks of life. They're not just these people that are out there, you know, standing on the street corner with a sign needing money for whatever. They didn't get – they weren't always that person, you know. And that addiction is just whatever separates you from God. Of course. And I know a lot of – just like you said, Daniel, a lot of people think just when we say addiction, we automatically think drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, Drugs or alcohol. Yeah. That's the first thing that comes, but it comes in different forms. It comes in pornography comes in work like daniel said comes in like money uh yeah you know to some media. people addicted yeah. to social media hey That's look at me yeah. and everything oh, so, i'm real bad at it i don't yeah, know if i'm so addicted it's, but. but but yeah it comes in it comes in different different forms and you know satan is you know smart um like That's daniel right. said he 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 attacks where he knows that we're weak what's That's alcohol right. for you could be something different for for daniel it's going to be something different for me it's going to be something different for ryan so we just have to definitely guard against that right um and you sharing your story you know is is helping a lot of people it has helped a lot of people and is and it's helping a lot of people we had a bible study here a few few years ago and one of the people in our group had been addicted to drugs before gotten clean is still clean but he said we you know we were kind of asked someone asked him he shared a little bit of his story and someone asked him did you enjoy it when you were out there getting high did that feel good he said no he said i would be shooting up getting ready to shoot up and i'd be crying and i would hate it and i didn't want to do it but i couldn't stop yeah i couldn't get it yeah and and, and i've I've heard that too you know i never shot 
dope. And, you know, I enjoyed smoking pot. And I mean, I, I, you know, there were times, no, I didn't. I mean, you know, I wouldn't have thought about putting a gun to my head if I was enjoying it. Right. But there were times, I mean, there were, we had some really, really good times that we had fun doing this, but this, you know, drugs and alcohol were involved in it. But, right. you know. But it goes to the stigma, like you were saying, there's a stigma. People who have not dealt with that before just imagine, oh, they're just having fun. They just want to get high. They just want to get drunk. They're doing it because they want to. They yeah. don't realize it is an addiction, mm-hmm. and it's not something that you can nece- necessarily just turn off right. and stop doing. Right. It, it's it's a chemical and physical part of your body Right. once you get to that yeah. point. And so many times nowadays, it, you know, uh, uh, the people that I've been around and seen, usually it's jail, it's DUIs. I mean, it, when we're in our recovery group, on Monday night, so many people come through, and they've come through because of of DUIs or court has appointed them to to go. You know, and uh, that, that's that, probably doing nothing. What's that? And, and they're probably that's probably not doing anything for them. It's they're they're required to be there, right? right so, right. and some of them though, some of them do. You know, I knew a guy who you know went to prison, and but while he was in prison, he found Jesus and got clean and sober, and he's mm-hmm. been rocking the recovery for many years now. And so I, I I think that that's but it, it amazes me, like that uh, sweet surrender that I mentioned at uh, City Roads that I was a part of when I went there we had fifteen twenty people, and I went there four or five years ago with a somebody from a halfway house and that was like sixty seventy people they were meeting in a big old huge room and and uh-huh. and they said we were talking at the meeting the other night here we were talking about how the statistics say that it's really uh you know drug overdoses as well as drug addiction has risen since the pandemic i'm sure yeah Uh, so barton we appreciate um you coming on if someone's listening to this and struggling with addiction of any kind but especially um alcohol or drugs What's a, what's something you could say to encourage them or help them or, or kind of push them to the next level of seeking recovery? Yeah, I would say, well, you know, first and foremost, you got to surrender. You know, you got to surrender to your addiction and know that you're powerless over it. But to just seek, you know, if somebody's listening and and it's at a they're at a place like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, there there's so many there's helplines. There's so many meetings around. There are meetings all the time. You can. You know, you can catch a meeting. We have our, you know, I'll put a plug in for our meeting. It's at 7 o'clock on Monday nights. It's in the fellowship hall. And we meet it, like I said, at 7 o'clock. We met for 8 o'clock for many years, but we moved it back to 7. And I would love to have anybody. It's not just, yes, it is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but we take anybody that comes through those doors because we're not going to turn somebody away because oh no you know we can't have you you're allergic you're addicted to cake but uh, monday nights 7 p.m here at parkway baptist church in goodlettsville if you need if you are looking for some help or or just uh, a step towards the clean road stop by and see barton and the other guys and 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 gals and and let them just put their arm around you and love on you just like Jesus would. So I, I know from time to time, and you even called me one time, but people have stopped by the church and, and, and asked about it. And, and we, my number is freely given to anybody. So if somebody's listening to this and you have questions and, you know, stop by the church and they'll uh, connect you to me and, and maybe I can help you. Or email us, awesome. podcast at parkwaybc.net, podcast at parkwaybc.net, or even just leave a comment on the YouTube channel on the on this episode, and we will send you all the contact information you um, need to get in touch with Barton. So we're going to finish with the Bible verse. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Mm. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Just, wow. Just yeah. make it through today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Make it through today. Keep fighting that good fight. Don't give up. That goes hand in hand with uh, recovery. Exactly. When everybody said you just 
got to stay clean for today. And I can proudly sit here a long time ago. God took away those to drink and drug, the desire to drink and drug. I can be in a room with drugs and alcohol. I'm going to get up and leave because I don't want to be around it, but I'm not tempted by it. You know, I've been around people drink, you know, family functions. I, you know, don't really care for it, but, you know, I'm not tempted to do it. Awesome. That's yeah. great. All full cir- circle story right there. Barton, thanks again. We appreciate you all listening, and we hope to see you again next Monday on GPS to God. Now I'm going to stuff my face. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to GPS to God. Please leave us a rating on iTunes and also subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell if you'd like to receive notifications when new episodes air.